Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. Hey, Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy Monday. Yep. We have a very clear, concise, drilled down podcast for all of you guys today. Uh, Julie and I just had a, a whole bunch of coaching calls. I had a whole bunch of conversations with agents and brokers. It's been a very dynamic and interesting day. It's so much fun to be able to share this journey of uh, real estate success with so many of you. The, you know, it's interesting too, is when I talk to the new agents, and I talk to the more grizzled agents and the, all the agents in the middle, everyone's sort of, well, I think it's because you guys are all podcast listeners and probably buy our book too, but everyone seems to be very focused on the realization that this is the tailwind of the you know greatest seller's market in history and we're entering into some undefined future. But a lot of people are entering into the undefined future, not with fear and consternation, but with optimism and I have to say a lot of excitement. So thank you for all of you for continuing to make this podcast, by the way, the number one listened to daily podcast in at least the United States. It's our absolute honor that you've chosen us to, you know, really walk this path with you. So Julie, welcome to the show today. Yes, as you said, lots and lots of coaching calls. I love having coaching calls on Monday because, you know, we get to launch them into the week with some very good focus. Monday's the most popular coaching time to schedule, I find, most of the time. Um, so yeah, it's been an adventure. I say that by and large, of course, the listing agents continue to thrive. Yep. Lots of conversations that resulted actually from our Friday podcast, which was the optimist's guide to a pessimistic future Mm -hmm. and lots of discussion about, you know, in most markets, you know, so let's spin off Manhattan and maybe Miami condo market and some that sort of function as their own thing. But for most of the, um, most of the markets, the consensus is, you know what, we could have a whole bunch of inventory and we'd just sell that too. You know, it keeps on coming up. We see little blips of increased inventory and it's still selling like this. With a few exceptions, you can't just price it however you feel like it. Lots of aspirational pricing still is being attempted, which does cause expired. So this is another one of those things. Two things can be true at once. Hot seller's market and you still have expireds because the seller's are really pushing it. You know, they don't want to hear about comps. They're like, okay, well, my neighbor's house just sold for a record price. So let's try 20, 50, 100,000 more than that. So, you know, you should be doing both, I think is the bottom line. Uh, listeners, make sure you do listen to the podcast we did on Friday that Julie alluded to because we did get a lot of great feedback on that one. And it was yeah. five reasons why, frankly, what we might actually be emerging into, you know, walking into is going to be what Julie and I coined a renaissance. Well, the renaissance is a historical era that followed. And actually, listeners who listen every day, you guys know we were struggling with our dates. We're working but, on all But that. We, we actually did as far as how long the dark ages lasted and all that. And I would I was thinking it wasn't that long, and then Julie corrected me on the podcast and said it was a long time. Well, after the show, I researched it. And it was three hundred years. So yeah, I guess the Dark Ages for three hundred years was kind of a long time. Yeah, 
laugh. Um, but all that sort of, the, you know, the Dark Ages was, you know, fueled by the, a lot of historians will argue is a whole bunch of different things that were going on simultaneously. The plague was coming and going. All these other different things were happening in economies. And, you know, Europe was, uh, you know, still very much a, a feudal area. All well, that stuff, right? They, not only did they not have a vaccine, they didn't have really any medicine back nope. then either. Nope. You know, and they also didn't have any ways of finding out about what was being innovated or not. Because right. Because there was no technology. So do we expect anything like 300 years? Certainly not. But the part that Julie and I were really um, attached to and gravitated towards, and the reason we think that the word renaissance is not an overstatement of what might uh, be on the uh, the near horizon for, I think, humanity, is the very definition of what brought the renaissance on. And what brought the renaissance on, and effectively, and this is again how historians see it, was just a sort of a, an agreement, if you want to call it that, that people just got sick of being in the Dark Ages. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. And there was, and again, I put this um, as a description. Actually, I'm going to find this. Julie, can you go to, uh, uh, go to timandjulieharris.com and go to podcasts? And I actually found a perfect description of what I'm trying to describe. And it's, I think it's interesting to the point where these guys should probably hear it in case they didn't read it. But the essence of it was, is that people essentially got fed up with being fed up. People got sick of being fed up, not just with what was going on. Um, go up to podcasts right here. Right here. Okay. Just click all. All. You're pointing. On, I think okay. I, I and it's going to be that one. Okay. Now read the description. Is 2020 the beginning of a new renaissance? You can just read it right here. I just cut and pasted it. The Renaissance witnessed the discovery and exploration of new continents, the substitution of Copernican for the Ptolemaic system of astronomy, the decline of the feudal system, the growth of commerce, the invention and application of such powerfully, uh, power, potentially powerful innovations as paper, printing, the mariner's compass, and gunpowder. To scholars and thinkers of the day, however, it was primarily the time of revival of classical learning and wisdom after a long period of cultural decline and stagnation. Sounds I mean, kind of familiar. some of that stuff is obviously pure nerdy, but really the overall arching thing was you're seeing the evolution of technology. You're seeing people wanting to essentially get back to living and get back to creating. And that's what we think is going to happen. But it's not going to take two or 300 years, you know, as long as the Dark Ages oh. took. We think it's going to happen, in essence, in a matter of months, if not a year, because of the fact that we're so globally interconnected just through your mobile device. All these obvious things that we take for granted are causing things to happen much faster. The bottom line being is make sure you're conditioned for things to happen faster. I mean, I'm 50, right? And I know I have this expectation that you are going to, generally speaking, things are going to be the way they are for maybe seven or 10 years. And then there's going to be a recession and things are going to get mixed up and things are going to, you guys have been through this with me, well, right? Look at what the decades are known as, right? right you have exactly. a feel for like what the 60s was or like. Or the generations, the, the millennials. Right. It's and, much longer. Right. And so now what we're going to see, what seems to be happening is that you're no longer going to be looking at things in terms of you know historical you know time frames of ten years at a time. You're going to be seeing things happen in less than a year that would have normally uh, taken ten years. And why? The primary reason is is because people are going to want to adapt to this change. That's what really the coronavirus has actually done. It shed light on all of the fragilities that we had in all aspects of society and our economy. But this is amplified by people's real seemingly root desire to not have to keep up with the Joneses anymore, to really maybe detach themselves from the things that they were spending all their life energy doing. You know, the cost of living in the cities and all that, these macro trends that have taken hold, they weren't just temporary for like a couple of months, they're taking hold. That's going to forever change society. You know, these um, you know, the theories that every, the United States was just going to be 
a, a bunch of like seven or eight mega cities. You guys maybe have read those books and whatnot that have been out for forever. And then if you aren't living in one of these mega cities, you're going to be essentially, you know, living in a cultural and, you know, financial wasteland. Well, it seems that that might all be That's wrong. Reversed, it, might be, it might be just the exact opposite because yeah. now people don't want to live in these highly dense areas, maybe originally because of the pandemic. But now that they've moved out, now that they're home based, they're saying, you know what? I like this lifestyle better than tripping over humans every third step. So I think these all these changes and more will perhaps lead to a renaissance of sorts. Now, you need to maybe think about whether you're going to welcome in a new renaissance for yourself, mm-hmm. like your own personal, you know, you renaissance. And what does that actually mean? And that's really where Julie and I, that's what we're gravitating towards, because we actually think that's what's going to happen, that this time in history is really the hard reset that maybe you didn't even know you were looking for that's that's already taken place. And now you're if you allow yourself, you're going to be able to load in, let's say, a new operating system and then see new ways of living where you're going to be essentially much more fulfilled, much happier, much healthier. Yes. I mean, does this resonate well, with you, Julie? I'm doing a lot of work with our elite coaching clients on revamping their goal setting, right? So they all, because they're elite coaching clients, they all do have a treasure map that is done that has goals in five areas of life. But because by and large, they're all having really amazing years, you know, because of supply and demand and because they know what they're doing. Most of them are listing agents. Almost all of them are actually raising their goals and, uh, you know, like their uh, GCI goals, gross commission income goals. And that has a result of thinking bigger, thinking differently, maybe moving a little bit, maybe not, maybe enhancing your home office, maybe not. But they're revamping their goals earlier then, I mean, normally we do it in January, right? So they've got five months left and it's pretty exciting to see people do that. You know, and of course, we're all sensitive to the pandemic and what's going on around us. But, you know, if you're thriving because you're helping people, you, it's okay you deserve to, to win. your own goals. You yeah, know, you deserve okay, to win. That's what you should be doing. So the question I asked in my coaching call today, and this was somebody that was with EXP, they're really focused, they're doing fantastic, a top producing agent. I and, and this person, this guy, when I have these coaching calls with him, he's I never well, maybe I'm telling him this now, but I get as much motivation from him as he probably does for me, as he hopefully does for me. But I asked him the question, I said, What are the three things that are most important to you in your business right now? And he told me what those three things are. Then I said, What does it mean for you to be all in? Like what what, That's what a great g- question. give me an example. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me an example of there you heard it, listeners. A seldom heard compliment from Julie Harris for me. It's been recorded. Write it down. It happened. Witnesses. It happened on 2.30 p.m. August 10th, 2020. Julie gave me a compliment. It'll never happen again. Especially now. <laughs> uh, so I asked him, when was the last time? Give me an example of when he was all in. And, mm-hmm. and because he said he was all in on those three things, right? I said, so give me an example of sometime in the past when you knew you were all in. And he was an athlete. So those athletes are always the best to coach, right? Because they have had to live, if they were even mildly successful as being an athlete, they had to be a living lifestyle of doing what they didn't want to do and they didn't yeah. want to do it at the highest level. So he gave me an example of that, but it was all the way back in high school. Mm. He played, I think it was baseball or something. I I mean, he was just telling me um, about essentially the amount of time and devotion, how he had to eat, how he had to live this life. He was all in. His whole life revolved around the accomplishment of essentially um, being, his team was, you know, going to win the championship and he'd gotten some kind of... um, I'm not a baseball guy, so I'm not even going to try to fake it and make you guys pretend Mm -hmm. I was remembering what position he was talking about because I don't know. But the moral of the story was is that was his example of all in. And I asked him where he'd been all in at that level since then. 
And then he started saying, well, with my marriage, or I, he said a couple other things. I said, really? You are all in at the same level you were back. And then he stopped and he thought about it. Well, if that in, in high school was a 10 out of 10, I guess this example I'm giving you now where I was, you know, trying to, uh, you know, whatever it was, was maybe a seven out of 10. So this went back and forth a little while as I kept challenging him on where he said he'd been all in. And then finally he says, I have not been all in on anything and I've always been giving myself excuses not to actually succeed on everything ever since that experience in high school. And I asked him what happened. And he said, and remember, I'm, this listeners is very, I think, cathartic, right? He said, it's because I went all in in high school and I didn't win. I didn't succeed. Mm. I failed. That, those weren't his words. I'm just, you know, making it short. So what he, was, what he had been doing his whole life, and he was, I think he's, I'm guessing he's in his early 40s. If he has been essentially never allowing himself to go all in on anything, maybe seven out of 10 and a 10, you know, a 10 out of 10 is all in because of the fact that he was fearful that he would get hurt again, or he wasn't going to be good enough to accomplish the goal. Isn't this interesting listeners? This is what coaching is all about. Mm -hmm. So then I asked him the question again. So what are the three things that you claim you're all in about? Then he said, I'm not really all in on any of those now that we've had this coaching call. Mm -hmm. So then I said, the real fun question of all the three things that you are all in about, what is the one thing that's the most important? And then he told me what it was. And then I said, so you tell me what it would look like, what it would feel like if you were truly all in on that one thing. And then we had a kick-ass coaching call, mm -hmm. there <laughs> right? You go. I mean, then we really drilled down. Then he talked about how everything would change. And he, it was about his, um, you guys can, you know, hear me, feel me reliving this coaching calls because it was mm -hmm. very motivational. He said he would talk different. He said he would walk different. He said he would, I mean, literally his posture would improve. He really, really was introspective about all the characteristics of somebody who's truly focused, who's truly drilled down, who's truly all in. Yes, but he knows the difference because he lived it in high school. Right. And I think it is... I don't know that it's in some ways it's probably harder because he had had the experience well, I of being also, in and and not having that gratification. I think it's even harder for people who haven't had that. I also asked him to give me examples of people he knew in life, whether he knew them himself or whether he knew them just, mm -hmm. you know, through whatever social or whatever, how, you know, what the characteristics they had. Yes. Right. So, you know, who's the, I, I asked him, I think actors, right. Actors mm -hmm. are always the safe things to, you know, and he told me an actor and maybe another actor and I don't remember who the actors were. And I said, well, how do you know they're all in? And then he gave me, he was like a super fan. So he's giving me these little mm -hmm. idiosyncratic differences and how they go about like, Specifics. you know, he was yeah. a real fan. So I said, okay, so that person clearly when they're acting uh, was, uh, you know, is all in. You know, he talked to me about how they would get in shape prior, how they were practicing, how they would learn and hire speech coaches. And that's truly being all in, something like that. Mm -hmm. You guys get the difference. I know you at least theoretically do. And some of you, if you were to take yourself through that experience yourself, you would know whether you were truly all in or not. Because what happens as you get older, you, get, you move away from the... I think the innate need to feel like you're all in on anything because you get complacent and lazy. Everybody does. And, and you get further away from, you know, like he's a lot older than when he was in high school. And as time marches on, that memory and that almost like muscle memory of knowing how to do that gets further in the past. And then, you know, it can be ignored. But there's another thing that works against you, too. Mm -hmm. It's the accumulation of success and the accumulation of failure, mm -hmm. which makes it so you don't have to drill down as much as you maybe would That's have had you true. not had any of either. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you've got enough success where business comes to you easily mm -hmm. or easier than maybe it would had you, you know, not if you just gotten into the business, sure. things like that. 
Or, you know, so you basically don't have to be all in because you can still make the ends meet. You can still make mm-hmm. money. You still look and feel successful. Mm-hmm. So you really don't have to drill down because business business becomes easy. Well, the flip side to it, too, is is people will give up. Like you'll see a lot of people give up on just different aspects of their life, having the relationships that they want, having, you know, even with their children or their wives, or their husbands or, you know, their friends. They just give up trying to be all in, trying to be you know, really focus. We don't focus so much on the touchy feely life coach stuff. What we focus on is the making money, helping people stuff, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's really what we thrive in. Um, and that's really where you guys need the most help. So I asked him and I asked all of you, what would it look like listeners? If you were all in with your real estate business, what would it look like if you were all in, let's drill it down even more. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a little too obtuse. What if you were all in about becoming the best version of yourself as a listing agent, that specific skill set, which we are focused on in our coaching company, what would it look like if you were all in? Are you sick of hearing that term yet? I'm Mm -hmm. almost sick of saying it, but still, there's no better way to say it. Mm -hmm. If you were all in to become the best version of yourself as a listing agent, how would you act? What would you be doing differently? Here's the really best question I love. I know. (laughs) Julie just tapped on Harris Rules, our book. It is is a rule. Be the best at what matters. Yep. Be the best Best at what matters. That is. And guys, if you haven't purchased our book at Harris Rules, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, everywhere else, you might want to buy a book. Also available on Audible. um, And uh, it's almost 400 five-star reviews. So make sure you get the book. So uh, yeah. So what would that look like? What would you, how would you, again, so those questions are kind of like easy to answer, but here's the fun question. What would you stop doing if you were all in to become the world's best listing agent? I love that question. And by the way, you can apply that to anything. If you're saying, for example, I want to get in the best physical shape of my life, which by the way, was my personal goal at the start of this year. And then, you know, the asshole virus came to town, shut all the gyms down. (laughs) And now all we do is our six mile death march every day around, around the property. Well, you didn't give up the goal. You just had to greatly modify it. Yeah. Well, you know. I don't know if walking six miles a day is the same as what I had planned. We're in maintenance mode right now. I was actually hoping that they were going to have open tryouts for the James Bond role. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to try out for it. Of course, I'm joking, but still. See, that was me being all in because I wanted to have a, you know, a, a goal of, you know, being in that level of condition. But anyway, I digress as we always do. But if you, if you guys were all in on becoming the world's best listing agent, the world's best version of you as a listing agent, what would you stop doing? What's standing in the way of you accomplishing that particular goal? Because you all realize that everything you want in your real estate business is on the other side of that specific uh, goal, right? Mm -hmm. Not even the accomplishment of it, truthfully. If you're working on your, if you're on the way to accomplishing, and if you're, you know, in the along the path of accomplishing the version of you becoming the, you know, the best version of you as a listing agent then you're, you are doing the right, you're making the right moves. But what would you have to stop doing if that was truly your quest? Julie, so you have had this probably more coaching calls than me. If you were to ask your agents that question, how do you think they would mm-hmm. answer? I think that they would stop blowing off their uh, fill-in-the-blank uh, commitment to making contacts, to their schedule, to pre-qualifying people. Yep. Um, I think they would stop making an awful lot of assumptions that the business was just going to keep on dripping on them? They would stop. Uh, they would have furiously fast lead follow-up. They would stop even thinking about things like CRMs and drip campaigns. They'd stop blowing their money on stupid crap. Yeah, they'd stop doing a lot of social networking. <laughs> you know what I thought was hilarious? Hmm. I, Julie and I love Inman. Brad Inman's one of my, frankly, favorite people in real estate ever. 
the guy's fantastic. And, and Julie and I read his website every day and show should you. And he's featured us on a couple really nice articles so far this month. Uh, but there's this hilarious article there, and I'm sure it's only hilarious to me, where it's talking about how agents are pissed off because essentially Trump's about to ban TikTok. Actually, oh. <laughs> I was taking wow. a drink on all this joke time. That's so bad. It's a horrible. It's so bad. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, that's the thing. Agents actually are believing, and, and these agents are saying, TikTok. agents are saying on this article, they're saying like, well, TikTok's a great way for me to promote my listings. And so I'm going to do a TikTok video where you dance around and stuff. That's, that's, no. so you guys think, because mo- most of you listening have only been in real estate since the advent, really of social networking and buying leads, which means the last, say, 10 or 12 years. That's mm-hmm. the extent it, on the high side of all your real estate careers. Most of you have only been in real estate for less than like three years. So you don't know any different and you've never sold in a transitioning market, let alone a buyer's market. I know there are a handful of you that are grizzled veterans like Julie and I, and you have the battle scars to prove it. But for the most part, you guys are new or newish and have never been in a dynamic market like what we're entering into. So when somebody who other people say is worth listening to, says you should be doing TikTok videos, how would you know to question whether or not that was a smart move or not? They don't know what they don't know. That's right. So we're going to give you a filter, right? So so you can answer the question yourself. What would you stop doing? Here's the answer. Anything that you do that has the word TikTok in it, you shouldn't be doing. No, I'm kidding. Anything you're going to do that's basically not going to put you directly in the position to hear the word no Okay, that's a pretty high standard. But anything you're doing that's passive, anything that you're doing that's not going to potentially result in you hearing the word no is not worth doing. Now, is not worth doing now and might not ever be worth doing. There's a simple rule that all of you guys can follow. So if you have that as your rule, are you putting yourself in the position to hear the word no at least five times a day? And you can, you know, it might be three times, it might be 10 times, depends on your real estate treasure map. If you're doing that, and you're doing that every single day, you are doing the real work of real estate. You are absolutely going to be successful no matter what happens to the economy, no matter how. So here's the, here's the thing that the, the complaining, you know, I get it. A lot of agents have been doing a lot of TikTok videos. And if TikTok gets banned, their poof goes their whole TikTok. What the hell would it even be? I'm trying to think know. of a funny word for it. Their whole TikTok enterprise. Trajectory. Yes, exactly. So there's no more TikToking going on with them. And that goes back to the fallacy of buying leads in the first place. You're doing all that silly crap because you don't control it. As long as you're buying leads, you're always going to be beholden. As long as you're doing all this. So, look, I rem- I've been, <laughs> Julie and I are OG, and I just found out what that meant. So we're old guard. Yep. Oh. Yes. Okay. It's because we've been in business forever. Mm-hmm. 25 years, married almost 30, right? So we've been around. Um, not around along some of you, but you guys know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, right? When you've been in the business for a certain amount of time, there's no sense of even, you know, yeah. bragging about it because then at some point people just start feeling sorry for you. I think you and I are right on that precipice. Yeah, we're 117 years old and realtor. That's right. <laughs> but but when you think about, for example, where you guys in, in invested your time, let me, let me give you an example. There was a, such a thing, and, and Julie and I intended to talk about social networking, believe it or not, on this podcast, which we're going to, but we're going to cut through the Mickey Mouse and we're going to give you the bottom line. What happens is these algorithms and these, uh, like, for example, there was something called a Google Slap, and there were whole companies and agents and brokerages that we knew that had spent God knows how much time and money trying to basically have good SEO placement. And then through a series of unannounced changes, 
Google would then summarily make it. So all the little SEO, search engine optimization stuff that they'd done to their websites were deemed irrelevant. And what, the, the, what, uh, what they did is over time, as people became to you know, get wise to these changes that were being made, is that Google started giving them little cute names. So when they would do, it wasn't called a Google slap. That's what these SEO guys would call it. Google was starting to call it, give it a little name like Bambi. Yeah, they get bambied. In Tulip, you know. Yeah. So that would be the change. And so what they're, the, the whole SEO thing is what I'm getting at. That was where people were essentially trying to figure out how to shortcut in game search algorithms. And they did that and a lot of agents paid tons of money. They made websites around it. There were whole industries that were created around selling essentially, you know, search engine optimization. That's not even a term you hear people use anymore because you can't game Google. You can't game the search algorithms like you used to be able to, not just maybe like 15 years ago. This is so like when the internet came online, when it really started becoming something back in the early 90s. I remember when Realtor or mid 90s, I remember when Realtor.com came online. And you used to be able to, on Realtor.com, you used to be able to put a, a, a hot link in your description of your listing for sale. And Julie and I always carried dozens of listings. And you could, from Realtor.com, get free search traffic back to your own website. It was amazing and it really worked. Well, they plugged that leak and every other leak after that. So what I'm saying is I'm talking to you guys about social networking. What I'm hoping you're understanding is that all of these things get changed constantly. And then you get addicted to going to the you know idea bazaar and hearing the latest little gimmick and what's going to happen next that then you're supposed to invest all your time and money into. And it was video for a while. Do you guys remember how long ago was it that YouTube, video, channels, whatever, that was supposed to be the thing, right? Everyone, by everyone, I mean everyone but Julie and I, we're telling agents to do it. Why? Because you are somehow supposed to build all these great videos, have following, and that somehow was going to make you the expert and people were going to want to do business with you because they watched your videos and blah, 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 right? How'd that work out? So what happens is an idea becomes oversaturated. Uh, YouTube, and it changed its algorithm for how people get, basically go about um, having their videos viewed. And all of that time and effort was wasted. And the same thing is going to continue to happen with all these other ideas. So the question ultimately becomes, if you had, if you really had the, you know, you're going to become the ultimate version of yourself, if you were all in to become an ultimate listing agent, wouldn't you stop doing all the social networking stuff as long as, you know, and stop fooling yourself that it's going to create business for you? Wouldn't you really honestly stop doing it? If you were 1 billion percent committed to, you know, becoming the best version of you as a listing agent, all in, you know exactly what you would stop doing. You'd stop doing all the passive stuff that never leads directly to a paycheck, but you just do because it's fun to do, it's easy to do, and there's no rejection. Julie, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, and it looks like work because, you know, your realtor friends are doing the same thing, but it's not actually work. Here's how you define it when you go to the idea bazaar. What can you track? What success can you track to that or the person that's trying to sell you that? Show me, I, I play a game with uh, coaching clients called Show Me the Money. And I want to know where it came from, right? And never have I had anybody say YouTube channel, TikTok. I mean, okay, some of that can support what you're doing, but it's not. That's where it gets confusing. Right. I mean, right. it's not that, you know, you shouldn't do any of it. It's how you think about it and what your expectations are and what you're spending on it. So in our book, Harris Rules, which Julie wrote 90% of, it's a masterpiece of Automotive or automotive? What am I thinking? <laughs> it's a masterpiece of, of real estate. You know, I don't know. 
Rules. Rules. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so I'm just looking at it, I'm thinking that green color. I didn't originally like the teal color in the cover of the book, but it really has grown on me. Yeah. But really, when you think about it, what we prescribe to all of you is that you think, when you hear people talking about spokes on a wheel, that analogy they're liberating, i.e. stealing from us. And so the spokes on the wheel analogy works very simply. If you have a wheel on your bike, imagine that, everyone can see it, and it has no spokes. Well, obviously, it's not much of a wheel. It's more of a hoop, right? So you throw one spoke on it, then all of a sudden that wheel has some integrity, it has some strength, but not much. Maybe two spokes, and then it's still a fragile wheel, but at least then the wheel is going to stand up on its own. That's as far as most of you get. And what most of you are naturally attracted to first are all the things that are going to require no skill and no rejection. And that is going to become the center of influence stuff meets the social networking stuff. And that's why so many of you guys gravitate towards it. Well, you also must know that those are the least effective ways of building long-term business, but nobody's going to tell you that. And because you're stuck in the echo chamber of everyone saying the same thing because they're all trying to sell you the same thing, then you actually believe that's true. If you took the time and you actually explored and investigated what the most successful agents in the history of real estate and salespeople in any industry do, they spend virtually no time on that stuff or rather they spend their best quality time on the things that are going to you know, basically result directly in a paycheck and then being able to help people. And how do you know what those things are? If you are putting yourself in a position to say no that's your, or hear no, that's your litmus test. If someone could reject you, then that means you're doing your job. If you're not putting yourself in a position to hear the word no at least five times a day, you're not doing your job. So the spokes that we absolutely think you should put on your wheel first are the ones that are requiring you to have skills, the proactive lead generation spokes. Now, here's what you'll discover. After I'm thinking of Chuck Williamson, who listens to the podcast every day. He's in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. He's in one of the Carolinas. I think North. And he, yes, I think North as well. And he does not even have a Facebook page, or at least he didn't a month ago. He does no social networking. He does no nothing, no nothing ever. And he sells 160 to 200 homes a year. He thinks he's going to sell over 200 homes this year. What does he do? Every single day, Chuck starts his day doing proactive lead generation. And he has a minimum standard that he sets for himself. He uses our scripts, he uses our systems, he uses our presentations, the whole thing. He has one, maybe two assistants, I think, maybe like one assistant, somebody else that pounds signs. So that's his whole business. And he is 100% listing focused. Don't you want a business like that? Call it McDonald, the same thing. In uh, what part of Atlanta she sell real estate? Northern in? Atlanta and Brookhaven. In Brookhaven, same thing. And across the country, when you're looking at the top producing agents, you know, Rob Johnson, he is the number one agent in uh, Connecticut. And with his brand, he's the number one agent in New York City. He sold 140 or $150 million last year. Guess what he does? Guess what his minimum standard is? Three contacts a day. That's what he does. And he's that successful in a market like mm-hmm. that. One of the most expensive, most competitive markets on planet Earth because he makes the proactive contacts. Does some social networking, which leads me to where this should go. What some of you, most of you, if you actually listen to what we're saying, will discover is that once you get good at the proactive lead generation, you won't be attracted to the gimmicks and you'll laugh at them like we do, frankly. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're free. Because what's happened is you don't have to buy your business so you're not beholden. You are free from the paradigm of having to buy your business because you've taken the time to learn how to proactively lead generate it. Now, at that point, you may might not ever decide to do the, the passive stuff, but you might as you might decide 
to try some of it. And that's where you can start adding the spokes that are gonna be passive lead generation. But if your primary spokes are not the proactive lead generation spokes, you will never have the business, the cash flow to support your business. And you'll be one of the 85% of all agents that fails out of the business within 18 months. Again, you can add this Instagramming and the social networking and the TikToking and the videoing and all the other gimmicks. You can add all that as your like fifth or sixth or seventh spokes. Jules, what do you think? Well, it's the icing on the cake because it can't survive on its own, right? right? And you can't replace the original spokes with this, okay? So it is not instead of, it's in addition to. There's a very important distinction with that, right? Because I, I mean, you and I have both seen agents that get successful by doing the real work of real estate, right? They build their inventory, you know, they get some confidence, all is well. And then, then they start to gravitate over to things that maybe are a little bit easier and they don't have to do it. And that works for a little while, as long as they have inventory. Then when that dries up, they're back right to having to rebuild those spokes. So it is in addition to, not instead of, because those things are not spokes. Gary Zahandos, you're giving me a good example. Yeah, they can't stand on their own is my point. So Gary Zahandos has always been, like, for as long as I've known him, a top producing agent. He's in Inland Empire, California. Mm -hmm. And Gary, he he basically earned his business originally from uh, doing um, proactively generation. He was working all the sources that we teach him. And then over time, he decided, well, you know what? I don't necessarily want to do that work anymore. I'm going to start running radio ads. Now, radio ads are a good fourth or fifth spoke. They're not a great primary spoke because they're inconsistent. The radio ads come and go. The radio stations change their formats. The radio station can then you know, sell the same spots to other advertisers. You are never in control because of the fact that you are essentially having to buy your business. That's what radio ads are. But what he did is he stopped doing the proactive lead generation. He then started relying on the radio ads. The radio ads stopped working. And because he had almost he'd lost almost all of his edge, his ability to actually do the proactive stuff, he had to relearn all of it. He then, his only option in his mind was to double down on buying more radio ads, hoping that somehow he would get the same traction for it. How many of you guys have done that with Zillow and buying leads, right? How many of you guys have always, have when a, when a marginal idea stops working, then you start spending more money on it trying to get it to work again? None of that stuff is a way to build your business long term. You cannot build your business that way. And you will always be beholden to buying your leads and buying your business. These are just facts, guys. Every business has to, every agent certainly in brokerage has to accept this reality. And if they don't, a changing market like what we're entering into is going to make it abundantly clear that they should have been proactively lead generating from the start as their primary lead generation spokes. Because, you know, that's what happened. Now, his, the radio ad started to slow down for him. They became so that one month he would take two or three listings. Another month he'd take none. And now he basically had the epiphany. Guess what? I need to start doing the proactive lead generation again. I can't be relying on buying business. How much money did he lose and time did he lose? Mm-hmm. How much money did he waste on ineffective paid, uh, ineffective, you know, bought business uh, that he could have otherwise been investing in other things? Like EXPI stock now, which is through the roof for like, You know, it's incredible what that stock is doing. But you guys get the point, right? I mean, this is what, these are really basic business things that all of us should have been taught when we were getting our licenses, but we weren't. So you get your license and then you're sort of birthed into the real estate community and then you find yourself working for a broker or an office manager that's never actually learned how to do proactive lead generation. And they're telling you to, you know, buy your business and build a team. They're telling you to do all these things because they don't know any better or know that maybe they do know better. They tried it and it didn't work out. And, you know, they decided to become a broker or an office manager. No one's really there, you know, shining lights in the corners of these bad ideas. Well, there's a few of us now, you know, Pat Hyben does. Um, there's some people we've had on our podcast that tell the truth about teams 
that tell the truth about brokerages, but there's not many of us, right? Because there's not many of us to tell the story because there's not many of us that have been in the business long enough to know the difference. And that's what I hope, hopefully you guys are going to be in the business long enough to be able to share with others in the future what we're trying to share with you. The fact is, is if you want an ever-increasing long-term levels of success, you have to ultimately learn to love the concept. Well, not love. I have to say that. I'll, I'll edit that. You have to learn to accept the fact that you want ever-increasing long-term levels of success. And what rule is this, Julie? You have to do what you don't want to do when you Bottom don't want... the book. <laughs> <laughs> yep, let me see what rule it is. You have to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. And that is rule and Harris rules. You guys You're can not going to find it through quickly. the pages. Damn, Julie, there are a lot of rules. Hey. How many so rules do we have? Again. 18 rules? Oh, that's not bad. So which rule is this? Oh, these are good rules. They are. Give me my glasses back. I'll find it for you. Oh, there it is. It's rule number 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Because they couldn't have accepted it as rule number one. I had to work them into it. <laughs> that's <laughs> you right. You can't just lay that on people. After we, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the bitter truth doesn't come yes. until the 12th chapter. That's it. Then at that point, you're hooked. You've already invested half the book into that's reading right. it or listening to it. You're going to listen to the rest of it. We got gotcha. you. That's right. So hopefully this resonates with all of you guys. So so listen, look at social networking for what it is. We like to do it because it's fun because you can keep in contact with people. But it the whole thing is designed to be an absolute narcissistic, you know, time dump. That's really what it is. You know, the whole thing is designed to make you addicted to it. The swipe that we talk about this in our podcast. I'm sure you guys have come across this information yourself. The whole social networking realm is an absolute black hole of human potential. That's really, truly what it is. That's a good way to look at it. You know, it is. It's because people start thinking that that's what reality is, these fake. And like Instagram, and there's some beautiful pictures on Instagram. Sure. People that have done, you know, masterful. There's Dave Snowenberger, who's one of our coaching clients. that. That guy, oh my gosh, he has massive camera skills. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know how much time he's spending taking those pictures where he yeah. could be spending it trying to help people buy or sell real estate. I'm, Dave's a great agent, so he's probably got it pretty well sorted out. But look, all that stuff is fun. It's great to look at. It's all the rest of it. But don't be lied to. Don't allow yourself to lie to yourself. Don't allow others to lie to you that it's going to ever replace the real work of real estate. It just isn't. That's not what it's all about. I was just thinking as you were talking about this that, um, you know, you and I were kind of playing with the idea of maybe buying a VRBO or something in uh, North Carolina. And you, you and I both agreed on this one particular house we're looking at online and I called the listing agent, okay? Now, why did I call her? Because she has the inventory. Did I go and see what she looks like on social media and try and decide whether maybe she'd have a listing or maybe she could help us with something? No, I called because oh, she has what, something though? we want. You know what? I what? sent that you know listing I mean? to you after I was on TikTok. I knew it. And I saw I do a hilarious dance with her beagle. <laughs> no, what the hell? No, that didn't no. happen. That's never happened in the history of things that happen. Okay, guys, stop being fooled. Stop thinking that's real. It's not. No, I called because she had the listing. The listing that was priced right. The inventory. Yeah. Hold hold on. Are you saying that I need to be the listing agent? Oh, and by the way, how did she get it? She picked it up as an expired. Oh, she called the seller and got the listing as an expired. Mm -hmm. How does that that. work? There's that. That's tricky. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. Oh, I know what I can do. I can Instagram the seller <laughs> when they expire. I can Instagram my no, TikTok video. Don't do it. Don't you can't do it? No. Maybe you can't mix them. Oh, hold on. No. Trump's banned TikTok. I got to get oh, on. That's in. right. Get I, out. I got to get on Inman and bitch about it. 
let's take a Facebook survey about it. Come on, guys, laugh about it. That's the only thing you can do. <sighs> and I think the future version of you, if you're willing to let go of the fantasies of the passive lead generation, <laughs> will be singing the future version of you know will sing be singing the current version of you's pra- uh, you know praises. So the moral story, guys, what does it feel like to be all in on something? How would you look? How would you act? And if you really want to cut through your own malarkey, what would you stop doing? That, my friends, is a liberating question. Mm -hmm. So guys, thank you for continuing to make this the number one listened to podcast, daily podcast for agents. Um, As far as we know, we know in the United States, who knows, we're actually looking, we're picking up listeners all over the world, which is bizarre. I mean, we have like nine uh, listeners and like, I don't even know how to pronounce the country. Something a stand. Uzbekistan. Uh, something. I don't something. know. I mean, it's crazy. So for the nine of you who are listening. Real estate is stand. Uh, you know what? I bet you they're soldiers. That would make sense. You know what? They're forward deployed soldiers because well, we do we get a lot of coaching clients. You know, that is definitely what, it, what is. it is. All right. Well, mm-hmm. if that is the case for thank all you, you guys. For, your in, service. for all you guys in the stand countries, thank you for your service. In the, me- in the meantime, guys, listen to our past podcasts anytime you'd like. They're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. They're going to be available on, oh, did I tell you? Uh, Amazon picked us up. They're going to yes, be on Audible. Did. No, I didn't. Did I? Yeah, our podcasts are going to be, oh, I did. They're going to be on Audible. So our cool. podcast is Super available cool. everywhere. It's syndicated, I don't even know, on 20 different uh, outlets now, which is fantastic. Can, hopefully, you'll continue to help us make this number one listen to daily podcast. Share it with other agents. Um, you know, Or maybe just share it with the other agents you like, the ones you want to see staying in the business. The rest of them, you know, yeah, they're on their own. tell them you like their TikTok video, I suppose. <laughs> you guys have a fantastic day. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.